Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome to Prophecy Today. I need an hour and a half of your time. If you'll give me that much time, I'll give you the world with my broadcast partners speaking to us actually from all over the world, and we'll talk with them about the current events that seemingly as they unfold are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. I know this is a unique time in history. We're going to see how the coronavirus is affecting so much all across the world. And how does this play into end-time prophecy? Well, when I take a look at the book, we'll talk about that right here on Prophecy Today. You might realize that this upcoming week is Passover, and then on next Sunday, it will be Easter. So it's Holy Week in Jerusalem. It's going to be totally different. We'll talk with Dave Dolan about that. We'll talk with Steve Herzig, who is the National Director of Friends of Israel, to explain Passover for us. And then we'll get a report from Winky Madad, who is in Israel. And he is going to have to celebrate basically the Passover Seder there alone, except with his wife at their home. No members of the family are going to be allowed to come and visit with them. That's all happening around the world. I'm so glad you could join us so we can give you these updates and then share with you the blessed hope. All of this indicating the rapture is close at hand. Praise the Lord. Let's keep looking up for that to happen. In fact, it could even happen during the broadcast. But until it does, we're going to continue with our broadcast partners. And the first one is Ken Timmerman. I said we'd be going around the world. He's in southern France. And Ken, you and your family doing well there at your location? Well, we are, Jimmy, and life could be an awful lot worse. The whole country is under lockdown, but we do not fear the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. <laughs> I like that, you wordsmith, you. You're always there with the exact answer. Well, I've been reading that the extremists, Ken, around the world see this global chaos from the coronavirus as an opportunity. From your vantage point there in southern France, what are you seeing as it relates to that thought? Well, Jimmy, of course, one has to worry about that, but I would say more in areas that are lawless than in places where you have a quasi-military lockdown. Uh, in France, uh, you can't uh, travel on an auto route without the police or the gendarmes or the military stopping your car, controlling your identity, where you're going, making sure that you have a laissez-passe, a, a pass to go someplace that is approved. And there are not many things that you can do that are approved by the government. We have totally sacrificed our freedoms in France. The French government has told people here it is for their own good. They have essentially, in effect, suspended the Constitution. There will be no constitutional cases heard by their highest court in the land until June 30th, so nobody can challenge what the government is doing. And for a terrorist group or an extremist group to launch an attack here, uh, they would have to cross these additional police and military barricades, this lockdown that's going on. Now, they could do things within their own communities, uh, for sure, uh, but so far we haven't seen that. Around the world, in other places, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, where you do not have a strong central governments, there the possibility, of course, exists, and terrorist groups have been 
talking about exploiting the lack of uh, Western vigilance during the coronavirus outbreak. In Iraq in particular, the U.S., the U.K., and others have essentially, we have suspended our military operations there. But the terrorists are affected just like the rest of us, Jimmy. And I tend to think that this is going to have a leveling impact, that we will not see a surge in terrorist attacks because they are being hit just as hard as everybody else. Yeah, that's a very interesting thought. They're having to stay at home, too, if they indeed are following the law, which they have never done in the past. Maybe they're doing it right now. I get word out of Israel that they fear that Iran may take this time when the vision of the world and the focus is on the coronavirus crisis to go about putting together their nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Uh, That uh, will be a threat not only to Israel but to the world, but it's a possibility that could be happening, would you not say? Well, Iran is a different case from these, these terrorist groups, and the reason is Iran itself is a lawless state. The government itself is an international pariah. They have not respected any of the suggestions of the World Health Organization, whether they are good or not good. They have not accepted them. They've not put people under lockdown. Some of their members of parliament have died of the coronavirus. uh, The health minister, others in government have died already. And the supreme leader in his New Year's, they have the Iranian New Year's was on uh, March 20th, Nowruz, it's called in Persian. The Iranian Supreme Leader Ayatollah Khamenei, bizarre terminology in his address to the nation, suggesting that the coronavirus was the work of the United States and jinns. These are sort of devilish figures in Islamic theology that cooperate with forces of evil here in in the world. To suggest that is pretty extraordinary. I I don't know of another case where Iran's leadership has suggested that the jinns have been set loose in the world. Uh, And would they use this as an occasion to step up their enrichment of nuclear weapons-grade fuel is an open question. We know already that they have enough uh, enriched uranium, highly enriched uranium, to make a single weapon. They could have much more because the International Atomic Energy Agency, the IAEA, has suspended its inspections. So we don't really know the current state of Iran's nuclear weapons program. We know what they had available to them a month ago, and that was enough weapons-grade fuel for a single bomb. And we know that they have advanced centrifuges. We know that they're spinning those centrifuges. And we know from the Supreme Leader's speech that he is extraordinarily paranoid and is willing to accuse outside forces to sort of make up for the deficiencies of the regime to help its own people. And I think that's what we're really looking at here. We're looking at a regime regime that's on the ropes. They can't deal with the health situation. Uh, They can't deal with the needs of the people in Iran. People are increasingly panicked over the coronavirus in Iran, and the regime is not facing up to that. So, yes, they could strike out against foreign targets. We don't know what they're capable of doing. We only know what the International Atomic Energy Agency has told us about their nuclear capabilities, but we don't know what they could do with them. So then Israel may be on good grounds to be on the alert for an attack from Iran, possibly a nuclear weapon put on one of those Shahab-3 missiles 
of the other missiles they have in their arsenal to attack the state of Israel. And uh, since the fact is that the the people leading Iran today are more concerned about the coronavirus than they are the U.S. sanctions that may not stop them. They may strike out. I mean, that's a viable possibility, isn't it? Well, well it is. And, and uh, you know, they're, they're claiming that the U.S. sanctions have prevented critical medical equipment from reaching Iran. It's simply not true. The Europeans recently sent uh, some medical equipment uh, to Iran as a gesture, but it has not led to a decrease of U.S. sanctions. The sanctions are what are hurting the regime, and everybody in Iran knows this. The real fear that people have looking at this regime is that they will strike out at other countries, at the United States, at Israel, in this time of crisis, to basically show their own supporters that they are still in control, when in fact, just about everybody in Iran realizes they're not in control. Talk to me about the other areas of conflict, like Syria, Yemen, and Libya. What effect is this coronavirus crisis having on that, and could that cause real problems there as well? Yeah. Jimmy, if the, if the virus is unleashed in those areas, and so far from what we know, and look, let's be very clear about this, what we know is, is very limited. We don't know really how far the virus has gone in those areas, but we're told that there haven't been many cases. If it's unleashed in, in countries such as Yemen, as in Syria in particular, Libya as well, these countries are all at war with large amounts, millions and millions of people living in refugee camps, displaced persons, uh, without access to hospitals, to, to health facilities. If the virus hits them, we could be talking massive casualties, millions of people, uh, because uh, folks are living on top of each other. There's no way that they're going to be able to enforce the kind of distancing, social distancing that we talk about here in the West. It's simply not possible when you're living in a refugee camp. That is a real fear of Western aid workers who are living in these areas. But so far, we're told the virus hasn't hit there. So we'll have to wait and see. But it could be a, a huge humanitarian disaster if it does. What about uh, President Trump's always blaming China for the start of the coronavirus? He's got some pushback from that. But it seems to me China is not being truthful. They're advancing their deceit on many, many areas, especially as it relates to the coronavirus. Well, China is going to deserve uh, a very special investigation once the dust settles on all of this. They were quiet for at least a month, possibly six weeks, about the origins of the virus. They weren't telling the world about it. And this is the Chinese virus. Let's tell the truth about it. It's a Chinese virus. This is the fourth of this type of virus that's originated from these Chinese wet markets where they have you know, live bats uh, and other so-called exotic animals carrying these diseases. So, yeah, I think there's going to have to be a big investigation of what the Chinese knew in the beginning, what they failed to do, and perhaps their willingness to spread the virus once it erupted in their country to the United States and other countries by failing to cut off air traffic. Next time we get together, I'm going to spend more time talking with Ken about China and the effects of what they have allowed to happen and what may well be happening in the near future. Ken, thank you so very much, my good friend. Stay well as you're there in southern France. We'll have another conversation next week. 
Thanks so much, Jimmy. Be well yourself, and do not fear that pestilence that stalks in the darkness, because you know it's not there for you. Amen. I'd love that thought. Thank you, Ken. We're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we've got a Middle East news update from David Dolan. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. In this segment, we're going to have a Middle East news update from David Dolan. We need to keep a focus on that region of the world, the Middle East, because Bible prophecy is going to be played out on that stage, and we want you to understand where we are in God's time for the scenario that is laid out in the prophetic word of God for the times in which we all believe we are living. I believe that rapture, I'm going to say it almost every segment, that rapture could happen at any moment. That's our blessed hope. That's our glorious appearing. That's what does indeed give us hope in these times. We're going to David Dolan for that Middle East news update. And David, upcoming this next week, Passover. It's the Holy Week. You have Passover beginning on Wednesday evening, and then you have Easter on Sunday. Doesn't look like it's going to be a normal Holy Week in Israel, not this time. Well, Jimmy, uh, quite a number of the rabbis, though, are pointing out that it's actually probably going to be the most authentic Passover since the original one in Egypt. Uh, Why are they saying that? Because, of course, There were plagues swirling around outside. The worst one, the firstborn dying, was about to take place, and God said, take some of the Passover lamb's blood and put it on your doorpost, and if I see it, then I'll pass over your house, your family, and you won't be affected by this plague. 
and that was true of the other plagues that uh, struck Egypt previous to that, the gnats and the locusts, which again were having uh, at the same time. And so they were alone. They there weren't big groups of people. It wasn't a congregational thing. It wasn't. Uh, where everyone went off to prayer, like it's become over the centuries since then, very much a holiday where you invite your friends and neighbors and, you know, you have everybody in, but not now. Now it's just you alone or your family alone, and that's it, and keep everybody out. And, Jimmy, they've uh, discovered that it's spreading especially fast, the virus, in the ultra-Orthodox communities, in the most observant communities. And that's, of course, because they do gather, they do pray, they are much more, well, socially oriented. They have larger families. And the Orthodox town of B'nai Brak outside of Tel Aviv has actually been shut down. It's been quarantined. The whole town has by the government. Israeli soldiers are being drafted into the effort. About 15,000 of those are joining the police and paramilitary police. They're being given special gear. They're physically stopping people from going in and out. And, Jimmy, that's because they think 40% of the town is infected with the coronavirus, and it has a lot of elderly people, several thousand. They're actually being evacuated to uh, eight hotels that the Israelis have set up in different parts of the country where they're uh, housing especially vulnerable people who haven't yet got the virus but are in areas where it's spreading fast. That's, again, mainly Orthodox areas. So it's uh, quite a situation, to say the least. Uh, definitely no tourists, no public gatherings, none of the usual things you'd see going on for Passover. And, of course, Easter following, as you said, right after that, the same thing. The churches will be empty. They'll be closed. Uh, synagogues closed. The prime minister urging everybody to observe this. And he's once again under quarantine, Jimmy, because some of his aides have tested positive. And of all things this week, the health minister, Lickman, that we talked about last week, he's originally from Brooklyn. He and his wife are Orthodox Jews as well. They uh, announced midweek that they're positive with the virus. So, you know, if your government officials are getting sick, this is a serious thing. But again, the rabbi's pointing out this is kind of like the original Passover. You're just staying at home, sheltered, sheltered from some evil thing that's out there. In this case, of course, it was the evil that the Pharaoh was doing, and God unleashed the plagues upon them so that he would release the people of Israel to go back to their promised land, which thankfully did happen. I guess the concern about high security for the Jewish worshipers and the Christian worshipers that would come into Israel, in particular into Jerusalem for Holy Week, is not going to be that much of a concern. I've seen some photos there in the Jerusalem Post of empty streets in the old city. I've never seen it like that. Um, normally it's body to body as you try to travel your way through that old city. So it's going to be a bit different. David, I've read the book of Ezekiel, chapter 2, when the Lord called Ezekiel, who was a priest, to also be a prophet. He said, I want you to go to your people. They're hard-headed, stiff-necked, and hard-hearted. I wonder, what is this thing with the Orthodox, the ultra-Orthodox especially? You mentioned that they're basically under self-quarantine. No way. They are under Israeli state restrictions from even moving out of the area. Why are they so opposed to at least paying attention a little bit uh, to what the government's telling them to do to fight this coronavirus crisis? 
Well, Jimmy, I think it's very similar to what we've heard from several pastors in the news this week in the United States that uh, kept their churches open despite the closure orders from the state governments, etc., saying, well, we believe that the power of prayer and the power of God to protect is greater than the virus, and so we're going to ignore that. Well, the average Israeli certainly doesn't agree with that. And, in fact, the two chief rabbis of Israel have issued uh, rebuttals to that view, Jimmy. They've said, look, we do believe in God, we believe in His power, we believe that He can protect us, and we recite the same psalms, and you're my shelter, my refuge, all these things, but we also believe that, you know, we have a crisis here. We obviously do, and we have an inordinate amount of deaths taking place. I mean, you know, this is, uh, again, a high volume of deaths they're having trouble keeping up with already, and it's just been a few weeks that this has really been spreading in Israel, as really around the Western world altogether, and yet so many people dying in Europe and in the United States, the New York area, and this sort of thing. So they're saying we must abide by these rules. They're there for a reason. There was one young man in B'nai Brak, known to be ill with the disease, who deliberately went. He said, I'm going to pray with everybody because that's the answer. And, and again, he infected a whole group of people. So it just seems like faith is real, but so is science. And, you know, there's something actually out there spreading that's very nasty, that's much worse than the flu and has a high death rate. It's like spreading pneumonia around, and it spreads very easily. So uh, more and more of the Orthodox are getting that message, Jimmy, but there's always going to be some uh, that will just uh, do their own thing anyway. And uh, if they do, obviously they'll pay some uh, personal consequences, or at least in many cases. David, uh, we're going to have a conversation with Winky Madad about how the political and, uh, let me say, slash election operation may be coming along and the formation of a unity government. But I wanted to ask you this aspect of that. The Trump peace plan seems to be a sticking point in the Israeli formation of an emergency unity government, especially between Netanyahu and Gantz. I mean, uh, Gantz seems to not want to give sovereignty to Judea and Samaria and the Jordan Valley. Give me some thoughts on that. Well, he hasn't come out against it, Jimmy, and originally he said he did support the president's plan overall. But, you know, he comes from the left of center part of uh, Israel, and a lot of those are opposed to settlements entirely, uh, opposed to Israel even being in Judea and Samaria. That's a minority view, but it is a view. Uh, Benny Gantz, I think, from the military side, uh, former chief of staff, he certainly understands the reasons for annexing the Jordan Valley, the security benefits this would give to Israel, the security barrier it would produce for Israel. Uh, but again, most of his voters and background people are, are coming from the left side of politics and are not so enthusiastic about that. So that's one of the issues, as you said, that's uh, being worked out between them. But, Jimmy, on Friday, after the government Thursday night uh, announced this lockdown, complete lockdown of the town of B'nai Brak and uh, potentially some other areas, he supported that. And he came out on Friday and said that, I believe we are going to need a Marshall Plan after this to uh, get the economy back. 25% unemployment at present in Israel, that's growing like it is pretty much everywhere else. 
uh, he's still on board for this. He knows the public very much wants a unity government. They want a solid government. They need it. This is a crisis they're all suffering from. And uh, so I, I don't think in the end he's going to quibble over the peace plan, which, by the way, Jimmy, is very, very, very much on the back burner anyway right now with all this going on. Really, nobody's paying much attention uh, to those political questions, annexations, and those sorts of things. They're looking at survival at present and keeping the country together uh, and avoiding war with Iran. Again, some ominous things, missile firings at the Saudi capital this week from uh, the Shiite Yemenis allied with Iran, another sign of aggression there. So that's what they're really most concerned with. Yes, that is the focus and even the possibility of Iran developing that nuclear weapon of mass destruction while the world's focus is on the coronavirus crisis. David, it's always a very important conversation that we have with you. We need to keep understanding what's developing in the Middle East, because most of that which is happening is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Thank you so much, my good friend. Be well. We'll talk again next week. Blessed to do it, Jimmy, and you be well, too. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we are going to have a conversation with Winky Madad. I'm going to ask him how is it going to be for him for Passover. He's an Orthodox Jew. We want to see how he's going to have that Passover seat. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore, or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central, Chattanooga, Tennessee. Now, we've been here for about three weeks, as I mentioned earlier. We don't know when we're going to be released from uh, staying at home trying to fight this coronavirus crisis here in America. Uh, But we're doing radio and some television as well with my Prophecy Moment. Every single day I'm giving you about five or ten minutes. I take a passage, a scripture, basically from the prophetic passages of God's Word, maybe even one verse or a verse or two, And we explain it and give you the blessed hope that we have because of the promise of what God said about returning to the earth. But right now, we are going to go to Israel because Winky Madad is standing by. You know that name, Winky Madad, lives there in Shiloh, very historic biblical location, middle part of the state of Israel. Very knowledgeable broadcast partner with us. And, Winky, I want to touch base with a couple of issues. Number one, Passover, which is a very special time for the Jewish people with all the restrictions. I want to talk about that in a moment. But uh, at the first of the week, it looked like 
there was going to be the opportunity to form an emergency unity government. Now, how did that all come about? What took place to make that a possibility? Well, Jimmy, the main opposition to Benjamin Netanyahu's Likud-led government coalition was something called the Blue and White Party. In actuality, that was at least three separate political groupings that had banded together in order to try to create an alternative to the Likud. It was led by a fellow by the name of Benny Gantz, who was a former uh, chief and staff of Israel's army, with another one and another one. In other words, another two chiefs of staff, and a former, or ongoing, I should say, because he hasn't left the Knesset, a political leader from what we call the center-left, there is a future party. After uh, the third election and the coronavirus, very simply, Mr. Gantz said, I will not allow us to go to elections for a fourth time. Let us try a national emergency unity government. And he broke apart the blue and white party. Now, it looks like in the negotiations that have been going on, which you just mentioned, looks like Benny Gantz is somewhat reneging and really taking a strong stand on how they'll divide up the cabinet positions. Where does it stand as of right now? And we don't know it could change within the next five minutes or 24 hours. How does it stand right now? Well, Jimmy, uh, let's make it clear to our audience. In coalition politics, you usually get a minister per a certain amount of MKs, members of Knesset. But Mr. Gantz is sort of demanding that uh, instead of saying, for example, he has 15 members, so he wants, say, every four members of Knesset, so that's like four ministers, he wants almost everybody to be a minister. And that's not going to work. First of all, they're going to have to build a whole new table. But uh, a lot of people are saying that's an awful lot of money for an awful lot of positions you don't need. So uh, everybody is uh, squawking around these negotiations. There are leaks that I can hear and see, and I get tips off every now and then from various uh, reporters or uh, other activists. And as usual, uh, it looks like a big mess as I'm talking to you, and I'm not going to be able to foresee anything unless one of the two people give in, Mr. Gantz or Mr. Bennett. If Mr. Bennett gives in, then we have everything okay. If he demands um, at least two members of Knesset in a prominent position, and he doesn't get it, he might split off, and we'll have a national unity government, but without the right-wing Yamina right-wing party. Of course, Winky, I guess the only other alternative would be go to a fourth election. Is that even a possibility that could happen? You'd probably see a popular revolt here in Israel if that has to be done, because it's, it's odd, you see, by law, if there is no government and Mr. Gantz's 28 days are running out, they'll be just they'll finish just after the holiday of Passover. Uh, by law, we have to go to elections again within 90 days. I don't think we have the capability, either physical, mental, psychological, or otherwise, at this moment in time when people are, uh, uh, as I think I mentioned to you last week, uh, I'm in uh, voluntary lockdown. And the restrictions are getting, I'm not going to say harsher, but more stringent. Uh, and more and more people being asked to stay off the streets until we get over the, the stage of the next the three weeks or so of the corona disease. And if that be the case, of course, you're facing also 
the precious time to the Jewish people. Uh, one of the seven holy days, Passover, coming up, Leviticus chapter 23, and that's just the beginning of the entire cycle throughout the year of the seven Jewish feast days with these restrictions because of the coronavirus. How is that going to play out? Are you going to be able to have any type of normalcy to the Passover situation? Well, it depends what normal is. Of course, I can tell you that my wife and I, for the first time in 49 years, I think, will be completely alone at our uh, Passover Seder table. There's usually either we are with parts of the family or family with us, or we go to other people. As my wife said, she can't remember any time in the 49 years that we weren't together with someone, uh, whether friends, family, or, or otherwise. And I'm sure a lot of people around Israel, I, I know we watch on television, for example, all the students who are in their uh, bachelor pads, for example, in Tel Aviv, they're not going to be able to go home to their parents and their grandparents because the fact is is that younger people might be less prone to getting the coronavirus, but they might be carrying parts of it. And people like me, uh, who are older than younger, <laughs> uh, would get sick from that. So the, we, we don't want it to spread. So I think in years past, I've told you how everybody gets around and we see the grandchildren that's not going to be the case this year. And unfortunately, many elderly parents and grandparents, I'm talking about people in their 80s and 90s, who have health issues without corona are really going to be uh, alone by themselves. It certainly will be a different Passover there in the land of Israel among the Jewish people because of this coronavirus crisis that's happening across the world, the pandemic. Just one final question. I'm not sure if you can give us an update or not, but the Sanhedrin had made a plan to reenact the Passover sacrifice. I know they have a temporary altar that they could set up very quickly. What's the status on that? Are they going to be able to go ahead with that or not? Well, Jimmy, all houses of worship, shall I call it, uh, whether they're churches, whether they're mosques, whether they're the Temple Mount, or even the Western Wall are basically closed. The Church of the Sepulchre, various Protestant churches in the Old City, the Western Wall Plaza, and I said the Temple Mount, are virtually empty. There's a special permission for 10 people only to approach the Western Wall at, a, of course, a social distance spacing, and that's it. Uh, the Wasp guards have about maybe... 40 or so guards up on the Temple Mount uh, to maintain the, the place. I don't know the real details about the Church of the Sepulchre or anywhere else, but everything is in a shutdown, and I don't think it's going to happen this year. Uh, of course, uh, the Temple Mount groups are publishing details about it and trying to keep the issue in the mind, uh, but this virus uh, is of biblical proportions, Jimmy, if you and I at times, and you especially, talk about biblical prophecy, there's also biblical history that we have to remember, and people have to take care of plagues or other viruses or other diseases that we read about in the Bible or in history and make sure we're healthy and safe for ourselves and our children. Yes, it's going to be a different time. It's biblical proportions of what's going on, as you just mentioned to us, Winky. Well, let me say hak to you and your precious wife, 
as you get together for Passover. We'll be thinking about you, my good friend. Stay safe, stay well, and we'll have another conversation real soon down the way. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and our listeners, and everybody should be well and healthy. Very important conversation with Winky Madad, finding out how it's going to be for the celebration of Passover, especially among the Orthodox Jewish community, of which Winky Madad is a member. And, of course, his update on the election situation, very important as well. Right now, we're going to change regions of the world, and the man who deals with the European Union for us is John Rood. We bring him to the microphone to get a better understanding of the political things that are happening in that region of the world, a key region as it relates to Bible prophecy, for the purpose of seeing how the political setting the stage for the prophetic to be fulfilled. John, Brexit up and front and center once again. Boris Johnson is facing some fresh pressure to delay Brexit transition period because of the coronavirus. Can you give us an update on that? Yes, at this particular time, so many things are on hold worldwide, and it's very difficult to move ahead with uh, uncertainties, uh, especially concerning the coronavirus. Boris Johnson is facing... A majority now, uh, two-thirds of the United Kingdom uh, electorate, is in favor of the government requesting an extension to Brexit. So the the deal is there's a hard deadline for December 31st for the transition phase. And as of now, the government is quite strong on keeping that particular date, even in the midst of these challenges. And then as well, there is a November deadline for the draft for the trade agreement that should begin, which could take a couple of years, but it has to be in by then as well. So again, new pressure. If this actually fell apart and it was uh, extended somewhat indefinitely, uh, that would be pretty much equivalent to a no-deal Brexit because the trade agreement would not have been uh, agreed upon. Well, we have not talked about Brexit for a couple of weeks. Thought I would update everybody as it relates to what's going on and the leaving from the European Union by the British Empire. Meanwhile, in the EU, President Macron of France is saying that he believes the French nuclear deterrent can be part of a European role for the French. What do we know about that? Yes, well, with Brexit, as we just mentioned, France becomes the only EU nuclear power. France is expressing this interest of their nuclear force being the deterrent for Europe. Of course, that would be, in a sense, a replacement for NATO. Uh, There doesn't appear to be much appetite for that idea right now. But France has been very uh, independent militarily throughout these last several decades. France is the only NATO member outside of the nuclear planning group, and France also does not commit its nuclear-armed submarines to NATO. And then there's the history of several of the French presidents, including General de Gaulle, who wanted to create an all-French nuclear bomb and not to be uh, cooperating with the other European governments. So we do see, and in fact, this was uh, President Macron who gave a speech at the École de Guerre, the war school, 
So the idea was basically for a military audience, but this is an idea that is certainly under the right circumstances uh, would be accelerated that uh, President Macron desires for the French nuclear arsenal to be the deterrent for Europe, although that would be very difficult for NATO at this time. Well, one thing for sure, he does take our vision off of what's going on in Europe as it relates to the coronavirus, and we talk about another subject momentarily. However, I want to get back to the coronavirus. You said a moment ago it's causing a lot of disruption across the entire world, in particular in the European Union. I'm wondering, is this going to mark the end of the EU-European project, John? There's a lot of talk about these type of things of, you know, what can bring destructive forces into what's known as the European project. We've had these repercussions from the virus which have amplified weaknesses throughout the world. And so the European Union is certainly not exempt from that. Uh, There's very little agreement on aid for the various nations um, working on a European level. Now there's quite a bit of talk about creating a common uh, EU debt vehicle, sort of like a corona bond. Uh, The northern uh, countries, which have more stability in their interest rates, are not interested to do such a thing. Then we also know... Of course, with the case of Italy, the public opinion is strongly against the European Union. They uh, will not forget uh, in the near future, if at all, the delay to bring concerted action. So therefore, the EU has been showing these particular weaknesses amplified through the coronavirus is how I would see it. Yeah, and that possibly could lead to the destruction some are saying it's because of the immoral handling of the coronavirus crisis. Would you say the EU has not stepped up in this particular issue, John? Yeah, the EU has taken a back approach to this, and it's letting the economics of the situation basically rule their actions. Each nation is working very strong on their own behalf, and this is very clear. And so the idea of the European unity is actually being quite shaken. There's not an openness or a quickness in resolving aid between the countries. And this is the very reason why they should be together, is to benefit each other. But this, at the core of their system, uh, is now being amplified so we can see clearly that each nation is essentially working on their own behalf. Yeah, and it looks like it's either going to totally destroy the EU unity or it's going to bring it together to fulfill Bible prophecy. That's why I have a conversation weekly with John Root so we can discuss the political activities of the European Union and see how that is setting the stage for the prophetic scenario to come into play. John, thank you so very much. Stay safe. Stay well there, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. Thank you. Very important conversation with John Rood looking at his European Union update. What happens politically in that region of the world has great significance prophetically. That's why we have a weekly conversation with John Rood. Well, it's a Jewish holy day that's upcoming next week. There's going to be a time called Passover begins on Wednesday at sundown. 
and goes then for a period of time. I believe it's eight days because the Jewish people today combine Passover and unleavened bread. Seven days for unleavened bread, a day for Passover. We'll find out why that is the case in a moment when we bring Steve Herzig to this broadcast table. Steve is the National Director of Friends of Israel. He is also a good friend of ours, and he's an author. He's written a couple of books entitled, both of them the same name, Volumes 1 and 2, Jewish Culture and Customs. Be great books for you to have in your library so you can study these Jewish customs and the culture. It'll help you in your study of the Word of God. Steve, it's great to be able to talk to you. Of course, a Jewish Holy Day Passover upcoming. But before we get to that, how are you and your family doing, and how's the ministry going? Well, uh, with coronavirus everywhere and people social distancing and harboring in their homes, we are doing the same. We're doing great, but we're finding new ways, trying to find new ways to reach people and help people And Jimmy Friends of Israel is doing that through technology and uh, in certain spots around the country, even helping to deliver packages to Holocaust survivors and to elderly. So we're spending a lot of time thinking and uh, being on the air through Google Meet and uh, on the phone with folks, encouraging them, just like your program is an encouragement to people who are in their homes and can't get out. Well, I want you to be sure that you and your wife stay safe at this very special time in the history of this. In fact, the entire world, I was going to say the United States, but the entire world and what's happening from this coronavirus pandemic. Well, as I introduced in the first part of the conversation, are going to be focusing on Passover. We bring you, you have an Orthodox Jewish background before you came to know Christ as Lord and Savior. And I want those eavesdropping on the conversation to understand this Passover season, what it's all about. But uh, take a moment, if you will, to explain the seven feast days from God, which are given to the Jewish people there in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23. Talk about that just a moment. Well, I will, Jimmy. I really appreciate that. And if the listeners can, turn to Leviticus 23. That's the portion of the Bible where their pages are probably still stuck together, but <laughs> Leviticus, is, is, Leviticus is a great book, complementary, really, to the New Testament book, the book of Hebrews. If you understand Leviticus, when whoever it is that wrote Hebrews, uh, you're going to be able to get greater insight. But at any rate, the first feast that God gives is what we're talking about, Jimmy, Passover, which, of course, talks about redemption, children of Israel redeemed out of bondage from Egypt, and immediately following, without any break whatsoever, is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and that's why Jewish people often call Passover one name for the two feasts, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a reminder to the Jewish people to continue what they did that first night, which happened only once, the Passover, the slaying of the lamb, the eating of unleavened bread. They head out in a hurry, and so we remember that eight-day feast, Uh, really two separate feasts. And then following that is three days later is the uh, Feast of First Fruits. And First Fruits is a harvest feast, and 50 days after that is the Feast of Shavuot. That's in the the summertime. And, Jimmy, we know as Christians, wait, First Fruits, we know Jesus rose 
from the grave. He's the first fruits, and more will follow. Fifty days later, we're reminded in the New Testament of the Feast of Pentecost, Shavuot. Uh, that's where the Spirit of God indwelt, and we're sealed in believers. Uh, Jewish people recognize Shavuot as the time when Moses received the law. And then we come to the fall feast, and that would be Rosh Hashanah, the first of the civil new year, the head of the year, Rosh Hashanah. Ten days following that is Yom Kippur, and then following that is the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jimmy, as you know, and I know your listeners, you've been teaching them for a long time, these feasts tell a story. They tell a story of redemption and consummation to the Jewish people as a people and a land that God has selected for his vehicle to bring redemption to mankind. And, of course, for the Church of Jesus Christ, this tells us the same thing, redemption to consummation. It's a wonderful story. Don't you agree, Jimmy? Oh, absolutely. It's just so prophetic, especially for the Jewish people. And within each of those feasts, Jesus Christ fulfilling all of them at his time here on the earth or in the future when he returns back to the earth Just a wonderful, blessed story. Well, let's just bear down a little bit on Passover, and we don't need to go very long, but give us a little bit more background on Passover when it actually took place and how that all came about. Well, Jimmy, Passover was a one-day event. It's interesting. Jewish people have been remembering that one-day event over 3,000 years and have been doing so as a reminder of the time that they were enslaved over 400 years Ten plagues come upon Pharaoh. Moses comes to Pharaoh and says, let my people go. And I know I've told you before, Jimmy, I I can't help but think of that movie with Yul Brenner and Charlton Heston, where Moses comes in and says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no, he won't do it. It takes ten plagues, uh, the tenth plague being the death of the firstborn. Each of those plagues targeting a god of the Egyptians, where even in those plagues, we see, the reader sees in Exodus, he sees that God, the invisible God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, defeats the false gods of what was then the most powerful nation on the planet. And so the Jewish people are redeemed. They're going to leave Egypt. They're actually paid to leave. They're giving them silver and gold. They, they don't want them around. And the story is told in a, what we call a Haggadah. It's a little book that uh, takes the biblical account, summarizes it, and Jewish people remember as they celebrate a Seder. Seder means order. And, Jimmy, this is what Jewish people have been doing. Families get together. It's a significant and important time for each Jewish family to get together and be reminded of God's redeeming hand. And I think it's a great reminder, since we are dealing with what seems one of the plagues, pestilence this coronavirus and what it can do. And I I just find it fascinating that as we approach Resurrection Sunday and, of course, the time of Passover, uh, seeing this corona thing and how uh, God worked in the past, I hope and pray that it's it's, it's an encouragement to us as believers because we're not under a real physical lamb's blood, but Jimmy... We're under the blood of the Lamb for those of us who trusted Christ. It's a great reminder that we're in good hands. Oh, absolutely. He's going to take care. Whether we go to the heavenlies, and boy, that would be a great alternative, 
or whether he allows us to stay down here and continue to suffer through this world, not only the coronavirus crisis, but everything else you suffer in this earth rather than being in the heavenlies with him. I'm like the Apostle Paul Philippians. I've got uh, some activity going on within me. Would I rather stay or would I rather go to be with him? And I think I'd rather go. Well, let me ask one more thing. I always ask you, Steve, how can we practically use this special Jewish holy day, Passover and then unleavened bread, to communicate the true Messiah to our Jewish friends? Well, especially now, Jimmy, where it's extra hard, uh, if it's possible when you go out to shop your one day a week or however often you're able to get out, if you can find a card in your store and send them a Passover card. Jimmy, uh, during this time at FOI.org, FOI.org, we did a Passover on Facebook Live, and it's posted on our Mm. website, which is FOI.org, and uh, they can see a Passover demonstrated by myself and uh, by our radio voice, Chris Katolka, uh, it's already reached about uh, ten to 15,000 people, mm. and it's a great way to see what the Jewish people do and how significant Passover is for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, that's great information there, Steve. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. FOI, of course, standing for Friends of Israel. Let me give that address again, foi.org. Steve, thank you so very much for joining us, and uh, stay safe, stay well there with your family at this Passover time. We'll have another conversation down the line for another Jewish Holy Day. Thanks, Jimmy. Great conversation with Steve Herzig, the National Director for Friends of Israel, and focusing on Passover, a important Jewish Holy Day. Well, we're going to have to take a break, and when we come back, I've got one more broadcaster. That's David James. We'll have a conversation about how coronavirus is getting the attention of people, a message from God. We'll talk about that in a moment. All ahead here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We go into our last half hour. Remember at the beginning, I ask you for 90 minutes. Give me that 90 minutes, I would give you the world. And that's exactly what we've done, getting you information, for example, from Ken Timmerman there in southern France, Winky Madad in the center part of the state of Israel, and our other broadcast partners all around the world. We take this opportunity once a week to inform you of current events, give you our insights into these events, and show you how they may well be setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, I would love for you to answer my poll question. It's on my website, front page, prophecytoday.com is the location. When you get to the home page, go down the left-hand column, you'll find the poll question, and here it is. As we see Holy Week in Jerusalem unfolding, Holy Week, the Jewish Holy Day of Passover, and the Christian celebration of Resurrection Sunday, and we see these events being celebrated on the same day of the week as 2,000 years ago, does this give us assurance of the truth and the authenticity of the person of Jesus Christ in what he did and then what he will do in the future. 
That's the poll question. Love for you to answer that question. Again, it's on my homepage of my website, prophecytoday.com. And remember our YouTube channel, youtube.com forward slash prophecy today. We have a number of studies in Bible prophecy that you could spend time doing this time when you have time available. We now bring to these microphones David James. He comes each and every week right here on Prophecy Today during this segment for the purpose of having a conversation with me, and we discuss an issue confronting the body of Christ, but in fact, today's issue is going to confront everybody in the world, and what we're going to be talking about is the coronavirus crisis. Is it a warning from God? This is a key issue that we want to discuss and let you eavesdrop on the conversation so that you might develop how you will have your daily walk closer to the Lord when you think through the biblical information that we give you as it focuses on the issue. David, this week we received an encouraging email from a pastor who actually thanked us for what we're doing to get the truth out there and to help people during this difficult times because he was concerned, as we are, about so much false teaching and false prophecy out there. Uh, Talk to us about that email I sent you. Sure. Well, as we've said many times before, we're always happy to hear from our listeners whether or not they agree with us on a particular issue. And we had taken some heat the last couple of weeks for some things we had said related to the coronavirus and false teachers taking advantage of the situation. So I was encouraged to get this email from a longtime listener who wrote this. I pastor a small country church in Arkansas and have been greatly disheartened to see so many Christians posting a lot of prophecy junk related to the coronavirus and the end days. Not only does it show their great spiritual immaturity, but it is becoming outright dangerous and deceptive to non-believers who are looking at what they are posting. I, I see many posting what charismatic Pentecostal preachers claim as prophecies, even Nostradamus, and it's all a lot of hyper-speculation. I would love for you and Jimmy to warn Christians not to get involved in so much speculation without turning to God's revelation. I love your ministry. So this certainly leads into today's discussion, especially with an article you sent me that appeared in the Jerusalem Post this week concerning how the COVID-19 crisis is causing people to rethink spiritual things. Yeah, I thought that was a great article that I read in the Jerusalem Post, sent it right along to you. That article I sent you had the title, Millions of Americans Say Coronavirus is a Wake-Up Call from God. Then it went on to say, a stunning 44% of Americans polled say that they see the global coronavirus pandemic and the economic meltdown as a wake-up call for us to turn back to faith in God as signs of coming judgment. Very good article. Right, and I appreciate you sending it to me, Jimmy, because I hadn't seen that as yet. And the second paragraph says, with the coronavirus pandemic causing unprecedented lockdowns and economic distress in the U.S. and around the world, a new national poll provides a fascinating, surprising look at how Americans are viewing the crisis and how it is altering their spiritual habits and interest in the Bible and biblical prophecy. You know, Jimmy, the past 50 to 70 
the years have had their share of events that, at the time, did cause people to think more about God and the end of the world. For example, in the 50s and 60s, there was the nuclear arms race with the Soviet Union, and then the war in Vietnam. In the 70s, it was the energy crisis with the OPEC oil embargo. In the 80s, it was the AIDS epidemic. Then in the 90s, it was the first Gulf War. And at the end of that decade, people started talking about global warming and apocalyptic terms. Then with the terrorist attacks of 9-11-2001, the world changed forever, and we're still fighting the resulting war on terror. Uh, then in the 2010s, the world's attention turned to the Arab Spring and also to rogue nations like Iran and North Korea. And now we're fighting an unseen enemy that's on an exponential warpath. When we talked last week, there were around 90,000 cases in the U.S., and since then, in just a week, that number has almost tripled. You know, I think people have every reason to ask if the Lord is trying to get our attention. Yes, I do believe that is the case. David, it was very interesting to see when I read that article the sheer numbers of Americans who think this is a wake-up call from God. But not only that, that would be those considered to be Christians, but others were responding as well of their understanding that this could be a wake-up call. Well, you know, the reactions reflect what often happens during times of crisis, and the Lord certainly uses these kinds of circumstances to get man's attention at every level, from personally to countries and even the entire world. Uh, that article noted that 22% of the non-Christians polled said the crisis is causing them to start reading the Bible and listen to sermons online, and to search online to learn more about Bible prophecy and God's plan for the future of mankind, and even to have more spiritual conversations with family and friends. And there's even a high percentage of secular Americans, some 25%, who said they believe this crisis is a wake-up call to get back to faith in God. And this was also true of some 42% of Jewish Americans. And another thing that was interesting is this distribution was also fairly even across age ranges, with those from 18 years old to those who were over 60 falling in the range of 40 to 50%, beginning to look at things this way. And, and amazingly, even 7 to 8 percent of agnostics and atheists are turning to the Bible and listening to sermons, and this is what should be happening, honestly. You know, we can debate whether this is a judgment from God, and I've had those discussions, but the point is this. The world is ripe for judgment, and the world deserves to be judged, whether this is judgment itself or whether it's a precursor to that judgment. It doesn't really matter, but the response needs to be the same. Repent, turn to the Lord, and live for Him. Yes, absolutely. David, I think one of the reasons so many seem to be taking this seriously is because they're connecting it to the end times judgments of God. And of course, it's always good to take God and His Word more seriously than many do most of the time. Well, as we've said before on this program, God's prophetic clock is currently on pause until the rapture of the Church, and that means God is sovereignly moving history toward the time when all remaining prophecies will be fulfilled, 
even though no specific prophecies must be fulfilled until after the rapture. So when people say prophecy is being fulfilled right now, they're usually thinking about the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. And that passage begins with the disciples interacting with Jesus across from the Temple Mount, and it reads this way, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So the answer Jesus gives is about uh, the period of time just prior to his return, which we refer to as the tribulation. And then it goes on to read this way, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. Then he goes on to say, And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of sorrows. So, Jimmy, it's obvious why people think prophecy is currently being fulfilled when we see these kinds of things happening at a rapid pace today. But I would say there's a difference between what's happening now and the things that Jesus was warning about. So, David, go on from that particular statement now and explain to us how would you tell the differences between these global events we're watching right now and God's coming judgments, since the descriptions of those things do seem very similar to what's happening around the world. Why do you think that difference is so important, David? Well, it's an important question, Jimmy, and I think the difference is extremely important. First of all, earthquakes, volcanoes, storms, famines, diseases, and disasters in general, and the suffering and death they bring are just a part of life in a sinful, fallen world, and have been uh, since the fall in the Garden of Eden for millennia. We also know that believers in the Church have been persecuted and tortured and killed for their faith beginning in the first century, and this has ebbed and flowed for the past 2,000 years. That's nothing new. But what's coming after the rapture of the church will make those things pale in comparison. And Jesus said that the seven-year tribulation will be like nothing the world has ever seen. Perhaps the most important difference is that the prophesied future events will be the result of God's intentional and direct intervention into the affairs of men when he begins pouring out his wrath and judgment against the world. So although the Church has always experienced severe trials at the hands of men and Satan, we've been promised that we won't experience the wrath and judgment of God. So after the rapture, just after the first four of the 21 judgments in the book of Revelation, there will be international conflict, war, destruction, and famine that results in the death of one-fourth of the world's population. And things are going to get progressively worse over those seven years until the world becomes uninhabitable just prior to Jesus' return, and no one wants to be around for that. You know, I think there are two important things which come to my mind, David. First, everyone needs to understand the Word of God, especially concerning the future. So, of course, that they will be able to avoid false teachers and false prophets. And second, I do believe everyone needs to know Christ as Savior so that they will not experience the wrath and judgment of God that is definitely coming. 
Well, the first key to understanding the prophetic scriptures accurately is that everyone spend time, especially in books like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and Revelation, to see how they work together concerning what God is going to bring in the future. Because once you understand those prophetic books, you will have a roadmap through history and into the future. And, and a lot of people tend to avoid these books because they become confused by the visions and symbolism and figurative language. But if someone would use a good commentary, like Reynolds Shower's book, The Most High God, when studying Daniel, or John Walbert's commentary on Revelation, and perhaps uh, do this using a Ryrie Study Bible, which has great notes as well, I think most people will be amazed at how clearly these things can be understood. It's this lack of personal study that leaves believers wide open to being deceived about end times events, because there are false teachers and false prophets on every corner, each with... uh, a more sensational interpretation than the next. But as you said, most importantly, everyone needs to be prepared for the rapture of the Church so they won't be left behind when that trumpet sounds. And that comes through a personal saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God who became a man, lived a sinless life, was executed on a Roman cross as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. He died in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, and he arose from the grave on the third day. And anyone who places their faith and trust in him will immediately have their sins forgiven and will receive the permanent free gift of eternal life, and they can know they will be with the Lord forever. That's God's Word. That's God's Word, and that's the Gospel, which Romans 1 says is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, the Jew first and also others that are not Jewish, the Gentile world, lost people. David, great, great thoughts as we had our conversation today. And I do believe that uh, this is a wake-up call, not only for Christians, but for the entire world. I'm glad we were able to have our conversation on this particular issue. Thank you so much, my good friend. You stay well, and we'll talk again next week. As always, thanks a lot, Jimmy. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll open the Bible. I'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey, everyone. This is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. 
Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the Bible. The Bible tells us of a scenario that will unfold in the future, a prophetic scenario that the ancient Jewish prophets pre-wrote in history what would happen, and as we talk with our broadcast partners, we'll see evidence that what will happen, according to the Bible, seems to be unfolding even in these days. Our broadcast partners today here on Prophecy Today Weekend gave great reports. For example, Ken Timmerman from southern France. At that vantage point, he was reporting on how the Muslim extremists are using the coronavirus crisis as an opportunity to their extreme plan for the future and how it is unfolding today. For example, we can look at Iran and what they're doing to develop a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Ken gave us information about that. We looked at the conflict going on in Libya, how that's only being intensified by the coronavirus crisis in that location and how it can develop into the prophetic scenario fulfillment as found in the Word of God. And then the conflict, the eight-year civil war conflict in Syria, Now the players there are the ones mentioned in the alignment of nations that will come against the Jewish state of Israel, as mentioned in Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, and Daniel chapter 11. We then went to Winky Madad. He gave us a report on the election process. Now this is a very important process because the Israelis must have a stable government if they are to fend off the enemies who would like to destroy the Jewish state of Israel, that their name be forgotten forever. That almost a direct quote from Psalm 83 and verse 4, which is that end-time scenario prophetically found in the Word of God, describing the days in which we're living and the desires of these extremists and what they would like to do with the Jewish state. We talk with Winky about the observations of Passover for the Jewish people in Israel this year. It's going to be a different year for the Jewish people and the time of rehearsal of the Passover, the exodus of the Jewish people leaving from the bondage of Egypt, moving into freedom, headed towards the promised land. Winky said that most likely it would only be he and his wife at their Passover Seder 
children not allowed, family not going to be able to travel and be apart with the rest of the family for the Passover Seder. Then we talked with John Rood how the coronavirus could destroy the European Union. And as you think about that, we've often said that we believe the EU is at least the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Well, what about the fact that if the coronavirus pandemic continues, gets deeper in its activities, will the European Union be destroyed? And where will we get that infrastructure? Remember, John said it could either be destroyed or it could be strengthened. I would have to fall down on the side of it getting stronger because the Bible gives out a scenario talking about the revival of the old Roman Empire. We believe that is in place even today with the coronavirus or not. And then we talked with David Dolan. He had his Middle East news update for us. He reported on Holy Week. Again, Holy Week, the time of the Passover for the Jewish people beginning on Wednesday evening and then Resurrection Sunday on the 12th of April, the Sunday after the Passover. It's a different world in Israel today. I've seen pictures in Jerusalem in the old city. The streets are bare. Normally, you would have Jewish worshipers from all over the world come, and this is one of those pilgrim feast days, the Passover, when all Jews are to go up to Jerusalem. Not many Jews traveling from any place in the world because of the airline restrictions, not able to travel into Israel in particular. So that's going to be different. And those Christian worshipers who would celebrate the crucifixion of Christ and then Resurrection Sunday, they're not going to be coming into Israel as well. The Christians in the state of Israel will celebrate, but not like they would in years past. Steve Herzig came to the broadcast table to explain the background of Passover. That's found and recorded in the book of Exodus, chapter 12. But what led up to that, Steve explains how a pandemic was happening at that time in history as it is today. It's very interesting similarities between the first Passover and the Passover that will be celebrated this next week. You need to hear what Steve has to say. It gives us a great background and helps us to have an opportunity to use this information to communicate the real Messiah, the person of Jesus Christ, to the Jewish people. Well, that brings me to what I want to talk to you about today, Holy Week, Passover, and Resurrection Sunday. Passover will begin on Wednesday evening. The next day will be unleavened bread, and then on the Sunday following unleavened bread, the first fruits celebration and those Jewish feast days found in Leviticus chapter 23. Ultimately, that is a prophetic scenario for the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, according to Matthew chapter 27, was crucified on Passover, buried on unleavened bread, and resurrected on first fruits. That's the morrow after the Sabbath, which would be Sunday. That happened some 2,000 years ago on the same days of the week as it is happening here in 2020. That is a very important fact, and I believe that it proves Jesus is who he said he was and can do 
what he said he could do, that would be resurrect from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the foundation. It's the reality, according to Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, when he said he did resurrect from the dead. He was one that was alive, dead, and then alive. And that resurrection, the reality of the truth of that fact, is followed in Revelation chapter 1 by verse 19, where Jesus tells John the Revelator to write down those things which were, which are, and which shall be in the future. That's how Jesus Christ is not only the resurrection, but he is the foundation of Bible prophecy. And you know what he said? He said he had to go, but he would come back, shout for us, and would be caught up to meet him in the air. Now, dear friend, that is the rapture of the church. And with everything else we said on the broadcast today, you must believe that the rapture could happen at any moment. I mean, it could happen even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up on two. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.